The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. What's wrong with our world, and what can we do about it? Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Some five years ago, director Tom Shadiak made a nifty little documentary about his nearly fatal concussion from a bicycle accident and how it changed the direction of his life from McMansion thinking to the joys of living a much simpler, less greed-driven life. The film is titled I Am, which of course is the name God identified himself to Moses by, but also it reflects the term Gaiam, a merging of the words uh, Gaia, meaning Mother Earth, with I am being our part of the whole. <clears throat> In his film, Shadiak asked some important thinkers the two questions I opened with, namely, what's wrong with our world and what can we do about it? The answers he gets as to what's wrong clearly reflect uh, the pursuit for wealth and power at the expense of others. Uh, that may be the biggest part of the problem, while it's opposite, the communal uh, sharing of spirit and resources is the film's answer. It's pretty much what Jesus taught about human relations some two millennia ago. So for this edition of NDE Radio, I thought I'd look at those two questions with the additional input from our NDE knowledge that our souls survive our deaths and that uh, Mother Earth bears life together with Father Spirit. To answer the first question, What's wrong with our world? Well, you don't really need a doctorate in ecology or psychology or economics, philosophy, or religion to study the answer. All you need to do is pick up a newspaper, get your entertainment at the mall cinema, tune into the evening news, or rely on Facebook and Twitter for your social interaction to pick up the drift of where we seem to be headed. It was uh, pre-internet, Marshall McLuhan, back in the 1960s, who pointed out the driving force of media in our lives. Uh, McLuhan demonstrated that the direction we follow uh, is largely communicated to us through radio, movies, and television in his day, and the inter Internet-related communication tools of today. And they are designed to bring us the heart of darkness, as far as I'm concerned. But to quote Wikipedia's take on McLuhan, they say the message of a newscast about a heinous crime may be less about the individual news story itself, the content, and more about the change in public attitude towards crime that the, new cast, the newscast engenders by the fact that such crimes are, in effect, being brought into the home to watch over dinner. And uh, Wikipedia goes on, hence, in understanding media, McLuhan describes the content of a medium as a juicy piece of meat carried by the burglar to distract the watchdog of the mind. Now, this means that people tend to focus on uh, the obvious, which is the content, to provide uh, us valuable information. But in the process, we largely miss the structural changes in our affairs that are introduced subtly or over long periods of time. As society's values, norms, and the ways of doing things change because of the technology, it's then we realize the social implications of the medium. 
of the TV, of the radio, of the Internet. These range from cultural or religious issues and historical precedents through interplay with existing conditions to the secondary or tertiary effects in a cascade of interactions that we are not aware of. And that's the end of that quote from Wikipedia. To test McLuhan's premise, uh, though, on the media content of today, uh, as I was thinking about this, I began to take note of what I was absorbing in the current media wash. And uh, here, for example, are just a few of the stories. And you've heard them all, I'm sure. Muslim terrorists have beheaded 21 Egyptian Coptic Christians for being Christian. Chemical companies are preparing to use Agent Orange as a pesticide on food intended for the dinner table. Army reservists, this is in a separate story, who traveled in planes once used in Vietnam to drop Agent Orange are coming down with a variety of fatal diseases, which the VA refuses to acknowledge. They refuse to acknowledge that the reservists were poisoned by the contaminated planes. With growing rates of obesity and type 2 diabetes in this country, it's expected that people will be dying at a younger and younger age. Meanwhile, conservative legislators would like to institute age 67 as the starting point for receiving Social Security and Medicare because, they say, we are living longer lives. About 50% of bird species face the possibility of extinction. The Southwest is facing desert-making drought conditions. East and West Coast cities are facing rising ocean levels that could put major cities underwater in this century. The oceans are dying from the man-made pollution, including radiation from uh, Fukushima, where they've been dumping nuclear waste. And the sea creatures are being poisoned by plastic particles broken down to microscopic size and chemicals and prescription waste that we flush out to sea. In my local news in Maine, the governor wants to lower taxes on corporations and the wealthy and tax non-profit organizations, real estate, to make up the difference, which would probably put most non-profits right out of business. In science, scientists are now shooting human brain DNA into mice, and are delighted to see the mouse brains are growing 12% bigger than before. Wow, what did you expect? In medicine, after years of using cancer treatments that destroy a patient's immune system, Big Pharma has now come up with a drug that targets the strengthening of the immune system as a powerful cancer fighter. Unfortunately, the chemical costs about $100,000 per treatment. And in politics... Tea Party winners talk about how President Obama doesn't say he loves America often enough. Meanwhile, those same conservatives find every way possible to restrict the voting rights of poor, black, and Hispanic American citizens. Then in more international news, Russia took advantage of recent peace talks with Europe about the war in Ukraine to move many more tanks and guns into the conflict zone. Meanwhile, Italy admits it has let thousands of potential Islamic terrorists into its country without even fingerprinting or getting their names. And ISIS now is claiming its new target is Rome, and Italian troops now must guard the Vatican.
And in social media updates, there have been stories about how Facebook has damaged teens, driving some even to suicide. And then, of course, there's TV and movie fiction violence to feed the fire. I'll take the enormously popular TV series House of Cards now, starting its third season. The anti-hero becomes president of the United States through lies, blackmail, bribery, seduction, and murder. Any characters in the series with a shred of human decency fall by the wayside as evil advances acquiring more and more power. And then more recently, people were lined up out of the, out of the doors of the theaters for the opening of Fifty Shades of Grey, a movie about how a man who was a sexually abused teen advances to become obscenely wealthy and a sexual predator himself. So by now you should be getting the picture I was seeing. But remember, the stories of cruelty, pollution, exploitation, impending extinctions, medical and environmental malpractices, wars and rumors of war are the intriguing bites of meat McLuhan spoke of. But the medium is the message. The real food we are being fed, and that constant flow is the flow of danger, danger, Mr. Robinson, which drives out fears, drives our fears, and, and the impulse that we have to protect ourselves from the other, from the weird and the unknown. Long ago, Christianity introduced the notion of the Holy Spirit. That third part of God that is envisioned as God's love flowing down, around, and through us. Now, this media might be described as an offsetting unholy spirit, manufactured and distributed to entrap and manipulate the general population. In the spiritual war that's upon us, the medium have become a countervailing force to shut us off from love. And the way we're led to doing that is by focusing our goals uh, and our uh, all our drives on being good consumers, acquiring stuff, walling ourselves away from the others, burglar alarms and safeties, uh, um, uh, nets for our secure for our uh, uh, credit cards and all of that stuff, just basically distrusting and keeping our eyes and ears tuned to the bad news and brutal imagery that reinforces and confirms our fear and our paranoia. Well, let's ask for a minute, who wants us to be so afraid? Uh, This question generates many theories about the motivations of corporations, secret government agencies, even fallen angels and aliens. But whatever the source, it's as powerful and constant It works on our brains to harden our hearts. And the result is greed and exploitation are sweeping the land. So the rich accumulate almost all of the resources and the poor become poor just trying to stay alive. The rights we should ensure as a matter of fairness, the the good Samaritan rights to adequate food, water, shelter, health care, that uh, human compassion should bring into play are instead little by little, disappearing from the table, that table that feeds the wealthy so much while the trickle-down crumbs become fewer and fewer. 
Movies like I Am reflect some of the notions embodied in the 1960s hippie movement, simplified into the Beatles' phrase, all you need is love. Which is true, of course, but the medium tells us love is not what we need so convincingly and so shrilly that by itself love doesn't stand a chance and today uses a war against fear. The thing is, we've been given free will along with the possibility of love while the forces behind the material powers of this world, the forces that build and sell the tanks and guns, the high-priced pharmaceuticals, the fracked oil and gas that pollute our water tables, etc., 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 you know, those people, would deny the possibility of free will in the choice they offer. And nothing defeats the notion of free will like the ongoing implantation of fearfulness. And that fear conditions the brain to the protect mode, the automatic mode that once kept us from being eaten by the saber-toothed tiger and which keeps us victims of the media's fear and flight mode of today. We are up against it, um, the acknowledgement of choice. We can choose to be channels of God's love or not, but evil implies that there is no choice. It connives and wheedles and and persuades us that if we don't hoard and defend and take and lie and cheat, that we are goners, sure as shooting. Uh, therefore, it, it's become much easier for us to fear and to sin rather than to do God's will to love. In, a, in an interview uh, in the new issue of Parabola magazine that I truly love, this is a spring 2015 um, there is a, an interview with uh, Pauline de Dampierre, and I'm going to read a, a quote from her about sin. This is uh, the article is entitled "Engines of Our Nature: Conversation with Pauline de Dampierre." She says, "What interests me is what is at, at the source of what we call sin." Usually we see sin as a manifestation of a certain intensity or as an action which is exaggerated, bad, or harmful. But what is at the source of that action? Compared to the source, the action is only an excretion, something that bursts through from a, an undercurrent which is always acting in human beings. The undercurrent of tendencies from which these impulses arise is a part of the whole man. And usually these tendencies have a much greater influence on our behavior than we imagine. They are always moving, and they are at the root of what has been called our automatism. If a person were to stop all his outer and inner movements at a given moment in order to see what is acting in him, he would nearly always feel a tendency which has about it something narrow, something heavy, something with a negative aspect that tends to be against, to be egoistic. All that is usually going on unseen. But if he tries to awaken to what is going on in himself, to be sincere, he will be able to witness, in addition to what could be called the coarse life in him, another life of another quality, much subtler, much higher, much lighter, that is also a part of himself. The contact with this other quality of life helps him to have a quieter presence, a deeper vision, and he feels an urge at that moment to be open to a quality of this sort that would have a force that would be a center of gravity. He begins to search for a way to serve what he feels would be 
his real being. Then he begins to really know that if he lets his attention, his interest be taken by his automatic tendencies, it deprives him of contact with that other source of life he is searching for. It could be said that there is a continual tendency to sin in that sense. When these sins are spoken of as deadly, it means that these tendencies, if they are allowed to rule, at every moment deprive the human being of the possibility of turning toward this real life. This is really an excellent uh, article in an excellent issue of Parabola, uh, which is uh, actually the whole issue is dedicated to a study of the notion of sin. Uh, so I would uh, suggest that you go out and get yourself a copy or subscribe even better. So what uh, Pauline is saying in that in that uh, article is, uh, in other words, that um, that underlying heaviness that that uh, has been implanted, I think, by the media, is our default mode, our automatic mode. It's the PTSD way of thinking that our uh, media has created in us. We stop our hearts from understanding what. Uh, which results in egoistic, self-serving behaviors that earlier generations labeled as selfishness or sin. You see, love takes a conscious effort to channel God. It's a, it's an opening process that takes courage and compassion and the willingness to take a chance despite all our underlying implanted fears. So anyway, there's my thumbnail answer to our first question, what's wrong with the world? So now let's look briefly at what we can do about it. Well, about now you may be asking, uh, what does this all have to do with the subject of near-death experience? This is NDE radio, after all. Well, look at what the gift of an NDE, near-death experience, really means, not only for the individual, but for the world. It's been estimated that right now, in this country, Uh, In the U.S. alone, there are more than 15 million people who can recall having had an NDE. 15 million people. And why have so many been blessed in this way? Well, I think it's because God is telling us, yes, you have free will, but unless you have a source of spiritual insight, you really haven't a clue as to what you're choosing between. We all understand this fear and paranoia thing. After all, the medium is the message, and the message is beaten into our heads day after day after day. But this love thing, channeling God's love to a damaged, failing world, this does not come nearly as easily to our damaged natures. The I Am movie urges us to embrace community again by simplifying our lifestyles and sharing the wealth more evenly. But without an awareness that there is a higher power willing to empower this assignment to be compassionate, should we choose to accept it, we would probably witness a growing bureaucracy that would finally, like communism as was practiced in China and the Soviet Union, fall down from its own bureaucratic weight. And that's because there's no such thing as a perpetual motion machine. We just can't generate this thing ourselves and expect to keep it going from its own momentum. 
I don't believe the goals of the I Am movie can be accomplished without the knowledge that there is a spiritual force behind our Good Samaritan motivations that works to empower us over time. So here's where the testimony of those 15 million near-death experiencers has to come in. This is not a, a religion talking ritual obedience to a god or gods, but 15 million first-hand experiencers witnessing to the reality of the light of love. If more than 5% of the nation has had that kind of personal testimony to share with others, uh, a message of light and love and truth that can overcome fear, then it's time we put it into action. It's almost past time to do it. But we must try. So don't hide your light under a bushel. Uh, this is what we're trying to do, of course, with NDE Radio. But it's um, it's where the social media can also help. If every NDE-er Facebooked their NDE story to their friends, to all their friends, it could start a Me Too uh, discussion that could change the world. This past week's lectionary reading in the mainline churches included a passage from Genesis concerning God's covenant with Noah. And it reminded me how wrong the recent movie title Noah was, the, this, this joke of a movie called Noah, regarding the theological message of the Genesis story. The movie had Noah thinking his assignment from God was to build an ark to save the animals, but ultimately to destroy mankind. Well, like similar stories from other cultures, including the Hopi, God always spares a remnant of humanity to try, try again. So the Noah movie was just more of what I said about the mediums of fear. Uh, let me uh, just uh, quote some of some of the Genesis story to you. But first, let me say, but uh, getting, getting back to the lectionary reading, the, the Noah reading, um, it went along with a gospel story about uh, from Mark about the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan. In the Noah story, uh, a dove returns with an olive leaf to show the waters are receding, that life on earth can begin again, that land is emerging, and they'll be, a- be able to land the ark. At Jesus' baptism, in that story, we are told, a dove descended from the sky with words from God. The implication is, of course, that Noah's flood was God's baptism of Gaia, Mother Earth. The dove, the parallels are, are just too clear. And they come, uh, then, uh, they come with this covenant of hope that's described in Genesis, uh, chapter 9. I'll read a little more than the, uh, lectionary story included. This is chapter 9 of Genesis. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all of the beasts of the earth. Boy, is that true. And all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants. I now give you everything. And then he uh, puts an admonition in, you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will, and this is very interesting, I will demand an accounting from every animal as well. Uh, some people feel that animals have no souls. 
This, of course, clearly refutes that. God is going to demand an accounting from every animal of its behavior as well as from our our own. And from each man, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has God made man. And then he goes on, As for you, be fruitful and increase the number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. And here's the part that was in the lectionary reading. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. When the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. For the first time, I thought about why uh, God chose the rainbow as a symbol for his this agreement, this promise, this covenant with the world. Why did God choose the refraction of light as a symbol of God's presence, love, and support? You know, a rainbow is created when the light of the sun shines through the water droplets in the atmosphere. That's why you can see a rainbow when, when it's uh, raining. And it breaks up the light into its component parts. And then it hit me. God is universally described in terms of light. Uh, NDEers come back from their experience. They return to their bodies with stories of uh, golden light or a, a pure white light, which is their only way or their best way of describing this um, ocean of love that they found when they were on the other side. Uh, they talk about going into the light, emerging with the light. Um, they talk about everything that they see there having this, this glow, this supernal glow. And, uh, because God is universally described in terms of light, and love is described in terms of light, um, a rainbow is the opening of the sun's light into its color components. We can't normally stare at the sun. We can't normally see it with the naked eye because it's too bright. It's too damaging to stare at. But when it's broken into its component parts, uh, it, it's magnificent and beautiful and visible at the same time. A rainbow is the opening of the sun's light into its, into its, these very, the various colors a breaking open of the blinding light of the sun into a visible differentiation of its, of its beauty. In, in other words, it's a sign of God opening himself 
opening his heart, if you will, as a witness uh, to his love for his creation. We have to avail ourselves of the promise of the covenant of the availability of God's love and light to us, not only through uh, the Holy Spirit, which uh, uh, most Christians should be aware of its of its continual and ongoing presence, but we must avail ourselves of the stories, um, of the information, of the underlying. Uh, message that should be continual in our lives that NDEers can provide to uh, the population that has not had the great gift of experiencing an NDE for themselves. This is where we have to go. This is what we have to do. This is this is the reason we were given the gift of an NDE is to talk about it, is to write about it, is to get on shows like this show and tell the world. Um, what the experience was, what you learned from it, and what we can all learn from it, because you're sharing it with us. This is uh, this is the whole point of the NDE experience, as far as I'm concerned, and it may be the only prevailing force in a world that is motivated by greed and and uh, selfishness and uh, materialism. This may be the only weapon we have in our arsenal when it comes down to it that we can use to uh, change the world, to save the world from itself. Well, once again, we are out of time for today. If you'd like to listen uh, again to this or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about the work of IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. Check out their website at iands.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.